0: something I really like to ask monogamous people about if Mm. they're curious about polyamory or maybe if they're a little suspect of it or something and that's one of the examples I like to give of things you can learn from non-monogamy even if you are monogamous is that Mm -hmm. infidelity isn't just Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi Amory Podcast, we're talking about infidelity, We've gotten a lot of questions from our listeners over the years about this topic. And so we wanted to explore some of the most common and the most intriguing questions that we have received many times.
1: Yeah, so we have a couple of main questions motivating this episode. And the first one is going to be, how common is infidelity? And it's a lot more common than one might think. Although probably, I don't know, Maybe you would it, think it
2: seems like it's rampant
1: out there. Like it it's, definitely is something that's that that is talked about all the time.
2: I mean, we'll dive into it when we get into the numbers. But I think the unfortunate thing is that, uh, based on the study, the numbers do seem to vary quite widely. Mm. So that's why it is kind of hard to put an exact figure on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. Another question is: Is it even possible to cheat while you're practicing ethical non-monogamy? Because, like, if you're not sexually exclusive, then what actually counts as cheating and what doesn't? And the answer is yes, it is possible.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll we're, yes. just, we're just teasing the questions right now. We're, we're going to okay. get to all of these.
1: Yeah. No, well, you'll find out. Next question.
2: <laughs> Next question that we get all the time um, Is it possible to recover after there has been an infidelity? Um, if I found my partner cheating or if I cheated on my partner, should I stay with my partner or should I leave them? Um, a lot of people get caught up in that predicament. And then related to that, and this is the doozy, um, people ask us all the time, is ethical non-monogamy a viable option after there's been an infidelity? You know, So it's usually a situation like, oh, my partner cheated on me, I found out. They still want to stay with the person that they're, they were with, You know, cheating on me with should we try to be polyamorous or should we open up the relationship? Like, is that what they want? Is that something that we can try now? Um, Or often I'll also hear from people who are in a situation of like, either I cheated on or I am currently cheating on my partner. I feel Mm -hmm. like I identify with polyamory or ethical non-monogamy. Does this mean I should try to pitch that to my partner? Should I suggest opening up the relationship? Should I tell my partner that I've been cheating on them and then open up the relationship? Um, get a lot of emails um, from a lot of people in a lot of very messy situations wondering if um, it's possible to transition to non-monogamy after infidelity.
0: So to start off, we're going to start with one of our favorite things, which is some stits and stats on infidelity. So a lot of this right now, like we were saying before, the statistics are hard to come by for this. Um, And we're going to talk about that a little more later too, but conducting a study about people doing something that they keep secret and that there's pretty high stakes for being honest about is a very hard thing to get honest answers for. So Mm. this particular study was um, where a lot of these statistics are coming from is from a relatively small study of about 200 people. uh, Some of whom were married, some divorced, some uh, single, you know, in different relationship states um but we have some stits and stats from that that are quite interesting.
2: Yeah, so as I was saying earlier that there's been a there has been a wide variety of studies but the figures range anywhere from from like as low as 20% of people in a committed relationship have had some kind of extramarital sex or had an affair of some kind to as high as 60% certain studies say That's a like huge 60% range. of people. Yes, it's huge range. Um, so it is a little bit hard to pin down. It also kind of the target kind of moves depending on how the study is defining infidelity um, and things like that. But for this particular study, this, this somewhat smallish one that was 200 people, this is what they found. They found that 55% of their male respondents um, admitted to cheating on their spouse with five or more people, which is wild. Wow. Good. Yeah, mess. I know. I'm like, whoa, whoa. That's. Yeah. So, okay. But again, this is of the people who admitted, like, yes, they had cheated on their spouse or on their partner. And so half of those men said they did cheat on their spouse with five or more people. Um, 50% of the female respondents admitted to cheating with at least one person. Um, 23% of the men said that the leading cause of the affair was due to a lack of sexual satisfaction. 28% of the women said the cause of the affair was due to a lack of emotional satisfaction. And I actually want to point that out, that that the 23% and 28% is actually a pretty small percentage. Um, I think that we... Definitely have some cultural stories around affairs, and like we kind of assume that if a man strays, it's because he's not getting enough sex, and if a woman yeah. strays, it's because she's not getting enough romance or emotional intimacy and of course, it plays very neatly into our you know our our gender stereotypes that we're taught growing up. However, what we actually find is that uh most of the time affairs aren't necessarily the direct product of the person not getting something in their original relationship, that often it's factors that are not necessarily related to disappointment.
1: Yeah. And I do find it fascinating that the way in which this study uh, was operated and the questions that they asked were surrounding like emotional satisfaction or sexual satisfaction and then geared towards the men and the women. I just kind of wanted to point that out. probably I, I would be interested to hear the other end of it. Like, Let's ask the women: Like, was it due to sexual satisfaction, or the men was right. it due to emotional satisfaction, right? You know, or lack thereof. Well, and
0: that may have know. been in the study, but unfortunately, they didn't give. It all wasn't of the published because this this is this was a done by a company. This wasn't something that mm. was like published in peer reviewed journals or something like that. So, also sure. take that into account with all these stats.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So let's move on. Um, apparently 68% of men and 87% of women uh, consider online or cyber relationships infidelity. So these are like a couple of specific stits and stats on like what kind of... Things constitute as an affair. So, like, es- essentially, okay, like, okay, an online or cyber relationship. So, 68% of men and 87% of women consider that type of relationship infidelity, Can which I just is interesting. Ask- when yeah. was the
2: last time anyone referred to it as a cyber relationship? <laughs> cyber <laughs>
1: relationship, it's maybe in, the, in this it. article, the age of article. people
0: conducting this study, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's almost,
2: it's almost cute. Like, oh, your cyber relationship. Oh, yeah, exactly. Maybe you have cyber sex. Maybe I don't know.
1: Oh, I know. It Geez. really brings yeah. you back to
2: the late '90s, early yeah. 2000s.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And then, yeah, this big one, this idea of an emotional affair, which again, I'd be interested to hear what you two think like that constitutes as like what is an emotional affair? What, What this article says is that there is a strong emotional but not necessarily physical relationship between two people other than a spouse. So this one was kind of more of a gray area for men. 51% Fifty one percent said that yes, this qualified as infidelity, but for women, sixty two percent said that it was. While twenty five percent said no, and then ten percent of the participants said that they weren't quite sure. Which is which is another percentage opted
0: out. Is interesting. Yeah, right. There's a few percent. I'm like this there. doesn't yeah. add up to a hundred. But yes, um, I think it is interesting though that with that sort of question that. You know, essentially 50% of men and 60% of women, like both of those are pretty close to a 50-50 in this study mm-hmm. of like, does that count as infidelity? And I think that starts to get into something that I think non-monogamy raises a really interesting question about, and that's like what counts as infidelity.
1: And yeah, it's something which I, I often, think we're about
0: to get into. Yeah, it's something I really like to ask monogamous people about if Mm -hmm. they're curious about polyamory or maybe if they're a little suspect of it or something. And that's one of the examples I like to give of things you can learn from non-monogamy, even if you are monogamous is that Mm -hmm. infidelity isn't just a thing. It really depends how you define it and that that's a conversation you need to have. And I think this next statistic actually kind of shows that. So this is, this is how they worded it. 36% 36% of our male participants and 21% of our female participants said they had cheated on a spouse. When asked, and these are all people who are formerly married, formerly mm. married, or they're divorced now. So 36% of men, 21% of women said they had cheated on their spouse. When asked the other question, did your spouse ever cheat on you? 58% of men and 65% of women said yes. So. If we look at that, we're like, wait, wait. (laughs) So assuming this sample is representative, basically two times to three times as many people say that their spouse cheated on them than said that they ever cheated on their spouse, which to me means people define infidelity for their spouse different than they define it for Mm. themselves. Because I
2: think
0: that really kind of points to how important that question is. I yeah, know, for sure.
2: Well, I mean, it's a question that I think we've said this on the podcast before that it's important to have a conversation around that with your partner if you're in some kind of a non monogamous dynamic, but it's also important if you're choosing monogamy as well. I think that is a part of being consciously monogamous is having those conversations of like, what does constitute cheating for both of us? What constitutes violating the agreements of our relationship? Because it actually is different for a lot of different people, it can be different based on their cultural background. It can be different based on their family background. It can be different based on their trauma, Um, Mm. you know? And so it is really important to be able to have those conversations. So, I mean, among the most common things, like I think at least in traditional monogamous relationships, the very like baseline fundamental thing that most people seem to agree on counts as cheating is like, you know, having sex with someone who isn't your partner. It tends to be very like sexually focused. Um, but in practice, I think I've seen people both in non-monogamous and in consciously monogamous relationships settle on a wide variety of what they count to be cheating or not. Um, For some people, as we said um, an emotionally intimate relationship that's not with your partner, they consider to be infidelity. Um, you know, this whole term, that the idea of the emotional affair, I really go back and forth on it, um, honestly, because I think at its very extreme, it can be taken to this place of like, you know, essentially you're not allowed to have a support network outside of mm-hmm. just your spouse or your partner. And I think yeah, that like, yeah, I can get to this extreme of of being in a really unhealthy place, um, for some people, they consider flirting with another partner or not with another partner flirting with <laughs> another person who's not your partner to be some kind of infidelity and with other people they really don't care like whatever sure if you go to a bar and flirt as long as it's you know relatively quote unquote harmless you're not like sleeping with this person then sure have your fun um, Some people really feel violated again like we said by these quote unquote cyber relationships cyber. that the kids are doing. <laughs> 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 and other people don't care so much and then we kind of keep going more into the extremes where like i've definitely met some people where it, the idea of a one-night stand or making out with someone at a party where some couples even though they identify as monogamous they're like sure if you want to make out with someone at a party like that's totally fine or if you want to have a one-night stand as long as it doesn't turn into anything else that's fine and you know that again starts to get into the territory of people who maybe identify as monogamish monogamous or something like that yeah, I don't that's know really what do you all think. I've also, I mean, I don't know. I've also met people who think that like if their partner watches pornography or masturbates without me, that's some kind of infidelity.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the flirting question is really interesting too, because if you're going to say, well, flirting is cheating, then there's the question of like, what is flirting, right? Like, you can see how it just goes further and further into this. Like, well, it's whatever makes me feel uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm, that I think is where we start to get into this dangerous territory. And I think that's where most people live all the time when it comes to Mm. infidelity is it's like, I couldn't tell you what it is, but I'll know it when I see it kind of a thing. Yeah.
1: Just like flirtatious touching, even like there's so many gray areas
0: of like, what is it actually? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that not actually talking about those things in like, an actual clear up front way is mm-hmm. very problematic because then you can have that where one person is like, what this person's been my friend for years. This is how we are together. And that's an important part of my life. And the other person goes, no, that's what you do if that person is flirting. Mm. Right. And it's like, you can't really argue it because, you know, it's not coming from a place of like, let's try to, figure these things out and find a way to make this work. It comes from this place of like, well, I just feel bad. And this is the thing I've decided is the problem. Right. Yeah. Um, Totally. Or on the other extreme, you have people doing things that are very much like very shady and very dishonest in their relationship, but saying, well, because of like the letter of the law of what we agreed on, this isn't cheating or like, I don't think this is, so it's okay. Right. Like on both sides, you can use that kind of, wishy-washy sort of thinking to do some bad things yeah it becomes
1: really ambiguous i don't know i i think absolutely like ideally it's nice to be able to have a conversation with your partner especially if you are monogamous about like what this means to you and not just leave it to by the wayside like for the potential for it to occur because obviously i think one might get into a situation with friends or with old friends or friends that you've, you know, had a flirtation with for years, even if that's just the way in which you two interact with one another. And then all of a sudden to your partner, it becomes like, that's really not okay with me. So I think to avoid potential situations like that, to really be honest about what your expectations are, maybe is a good thing. And also to allow for a little bit more flexibility because you know, it's not like somebody necessarily is going to want to be like a dick to you and just say like, yeah, okay, I'm going to flirt in front of you and Mm. deal with it. But rather they may just not know, okay, this is something that's going to be triggering to you.
2: Well, I think, I don't know, I feel like this is now bringing up another question of like, if it makes your partner uncomfortable, does that mean automatically it's some kind Mm. of infidelity? And I think that's kind of like what you were hitting on, Jason, like a lot of people just living with kind of this sense of like, I'll just know it when I see it. because yeah. um, it's kind of more of a like a reactionary sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that it's I'm trying to think of of kind of another example. <clears throat> I feel like people do this a lot with um kind of like manners or etiquette too. That's like a very subjective thing, but people talk about it as if it's a concrete thing that everyone should know. Um like <laughs> I mean, as a silly example, I remember when I was in middle school, I had a friend who would come over and he would, uh, whenever he would have like breakfast in the morning after we'd like had a sleepover, he would like, like slurp his like milk out of his spoon. And I was just like, Ugh, like, this, this is just like so gross. And, and my mom agreed with me, obviously, because she's the one I learned like what manners are <laughs> and that after a while, um, there was a time where this same friend was criticizing me about my like table manners about something. And it was just mm. that weird thing of like, oh my gosh, we've both just come from these totally different realities of like mm. what is and isn't acceptable. Mm. And to us, they're facts, they're universal, but they're yeah. actually not.
1: Absolutely.
0: And unfortunately, That's really interesting. Unfortunately, yeah. about relationships, it can have a lot more serious consequences than us just bickering about who, you know, <laughs> who's slurping rude or, at or the not stable. slurping.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, okay, let's move on to that very old chestnut question of can (laughs) you actually be in a non-monogamous relationship and still have infidelity in your relationship? Because I absolutely have people in my life who I know who are polyamorous or who are in some form of non-monogamy and they're like, yes, my partner has cheated on me or I have been cheated on while in the midst of this type of relationship. So how how does this happen um i think yeah the the old the old adage of like having a rule and having a rule be broken in your non-monogamous relationship like even just the rule of like if you're going to sleep with someone then run it by me first or just let me know let me know that it's going to happen before you do it and you know that gets broken for example like 2 weeks later you find out that this happened like that can constitute maybe as cheating what are some other ways?
0: Well, something that, that, that often could comes be a up. Thing. Yeah. yeah. What often comes up is that is like starting a new relationship without informing your existing partners. Mm. Um that one's often Or even just up. having a one night stand. Yeah, and then not talking about it. Yeah. Well that kind of depends. Really I think depends. that depends on
2: the relationship. Some people sure. like with I don't know, I've known some people where it's kinda like whatever, if you just want to like go have a hookup or whatever, that's fine. But if something's turning into a more serious relationship, then I'd like to know, you know, and they kind of agree on that. Um, But with a lot of people it is, yeah, it's like now we're, we, you know, we've agreed to keep each other in the loop with any kind of new partner that comes into the scene, even if it's just a one night stand.
0: Yeah. For safety or whatever. That's a good example of how it can really vary though. Right. In terms of what, what people consider to be, you know, cheating or not, that that. that's like some people are like, whatever, you're out somewhere and you hook up with someone like, cool, like, I'd like it if you told me about it afterward, but you actually don't even have to do that. Right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I do my relationships where like, I would like you to be able to tell me those things, but I'm not gonna be like, you didn't call me immediately after and let me know. Like, that's your own decision to do what you want, right? Whereas for other people, there's a much more thorough, like, agreed-upon thing of, like, these are the certain check-ins you need to have, and this is how long before having sex you need to have gotten it approved by me. You know, I think it maybe that's an extreme example, not a healthy example, but, you know, you can have different agreements that you have that if you break those and you're secretive about things, that would count as kind of this breach of trust, like cheating,
1: Yeah, and another, like, breach of trust that could happen is uh, a potential violation of a sexual boundary that you have, such as the two of you decide, hey, we're, you know, only fluid-bonded with one another, and we're going to use condoms with everyone else, and then all of a sudden that doesn't happen, for example. Um, That could maybe, to some people, constitute as cheating. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah, I I I feel like the added part on top of all of these is there has to be this element, it it feels like there has to be also this element of like trying to hide it or trying Mm. to not talk about it in some way. Because I feel like, I mean, I've been in situations where like a partner has come to me and said like, hey, like I've actually made this decision that like I want to be able to have unprotected sex with so-and-so. And at that time, like with this partner, we weren't having unprotected sex anyway. Like we were using condoms and so it didn't change anything about me. But it was like, we didn't have some kind of agreement around like, you're only going to use condoms with everyone else except me. But like he told me that he wanted to make this decision. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I feel like if he hadn't told me and made that decision and like kept it a secret, <clears throat> then I would have had, then I maybe would have felt more cheated on or something like that. So I, I don't yeah. know. I guess like it, as in, a, as I'm thinking about this, it seems more like the choice to also deceive seems to be an important part of this, I think.
0: Yeah. I I actually think that the thing that ties all of these together is about the breach of trust, though. Sure. Um, is about is, is something to to use like a bank account metaphor. Is something like depositing into the trust account, or is it taking a oh big withdrawal out of it? Right. Um, and I'm gonna have a little the biggest withdrawal. I'll have one of my like soapbox moments. We should have a little theme song go. that plays like Jason's soapbox moments.
2: Um, no i feel like we need more of a theme song of whenever jace tries to get us to say a new word or something that he came
0: up with (laughs) yeah that happens more frequently (laughs) than
2: (laughs) soapboxes
0: well okay here's my soapbox moment about this and that's that something i think is interesting about this topic in general is that an affair or infidelity or cheating we have been taught to think about those things as in like as if it is a kind of a tangible thing that exists that is a very big deal. Um, And I think this is actually similar to the way we're taught about either about monogamy and like finding the one or taught about marriage where we're kind of sold this idea that a marriage isn't just what it is. It's some kind of magical thing that's like deeper and more profound Mm-hmm. than just the reality of this commitment and this legal contract and like those sorts of things, which are wonderful things. But we we sort of have this element of magic and like extra meaning that gets put on it. And then it, it influences a whole lot of other things about like how our society is structured and how our laws are set up and things like that, where it's just taken for granted that this relationship is somehow more important than any other relationship um, in this kind of magical way. And I think we have the same thing with affairs where we are sold this idea that an affair kind of is this breach of trust that's somehow worse than any other kind of breach of trust. And I actually think Mm -hmm. if you were to really reasonably think about that, that's actually not true. Like, there are much worse breaches of trust that can exist out there, right? Like, I mean, the breach of trust between a child and a parent in cases of abuse or something like that, or of Mm -hmm. abandonment, or, right? Like, there's a lot of very terrible versions of of betraying trust and losing trust and i think if you think about it that way you can see that all these things rather than having to pick apart like oh well in order for it to count as cheating there had to be a rule that it was against and like oh well you the rule wasn't quite this or i think it's this no it's not like cheating isn't Mm. this sort of thing that exists it's just a word we have for certain types of betrayals of trust and mm, so yeah. I think. Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm I'm done. You can play the outro theme song. Marucio. The
2: outro.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Bonk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no, I think that that is a very important point to make because, especially as we go on in this episode, and we talk about, you know, is it feasible to bounce back after an affair? What are the ways to bounce back after that? You know, what are the pathways towards recovery? That. These things don't just apply to specifically an affair. They don't apply specifically to the situation of your partner having sex with someone and lying to you about it or or to, you know, not upholding any like a particular agreement that you made or whatever. That it can apply to any kind of unexpected breach of trust that happens in a relationship. It doesn't have to be something that's just based on affairs or infidelity. To get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. The big old question, is non-monogamy an option after an affair? Um, okay. I had to, I really wanted to address this question in the episode because I, as I mentioned, I get it a lot. We get it a lot on the show. I get it a lot in my coaching practice. Like a lot of clients reach out to me. Um, and, um, Basically, you know, there you know, unfortunately, there hasn't been any studies done on, on like how like are there people who successfully transition into non-monogamy after an affair? Like are or, or does it crash and burn? Like like there like I don't have any science to give people on the chances of them succeeding. And mm-hmm. trust me, I've had people who are like, Can you give me the percent chance? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I'd be pulling it out of my butt, like I don't know. Um so I can only speak Kind of, I guess, from anecdotal experience and my experience working with clients. Um, I have found that sometimes people who have an affair, sometimes the affair is the thing that was needed to literally, mm. you know break things open and create kind of this new relationship, this new way of communicating. Um, you know, it forces things to be out on the table. and sometimes, depending on the couple, that's exactly what they needed. They needed some kind of big, dramatic, inciting incident to finally be like, okay, we can finally just be freaking honest with each other about who we're attracted to or our interest in non-monogamy or something like that, and we can finally talk about it and, and move forward. Um, so some people are able to go from the pain of an affair to actually launching quite successfully into a non-monogamous relationship. Um, however... That is definitely the minority of cases that I've seen. Usually, for that to be the case, like the relationship itself has to be already pretty dang solid with pretty good communication, and then this affair is just kind of a hiccup where they're like, "Ooh, oh gosh," mm-hmm, like, "Okay, how how do we kind of rebuild and move forward and find a way to make our relationship, you know, better for both of us moving forward?" Um, but as I said, it is the minority of cases. Um, as most people know, I think non-monogamy and polyamory—it's something that takes like so much trust and honesty and communication and to start after an affair is kind of like starting with like, like starting out your life with like a bank, like already in like a ton of debt, like with a negative bank account with no job, like you're really shooting yourself in the foot trying to transition like a relationship where you've been cheating into something that's non-monogamous. And it's not just like, I can't ever, you know, I can never say to someone like, no, it's impossible. You can't do it. Don't even try, but it's definitely going to be difficult.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've read some, you know, articles by people. There was one that we read in preparing for this, where they were basically saying they've never known anyone who has Successfully transitioned into non monogamy with that same partner. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Often people can find, like, oh, this really opened my eyes to non monogamy, but maybe not with that person. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways that it could go. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is definitely interesting that I think a lot of people, if they've been in, let's say, a monogamous marriage for a long time, and then they finally like they have an affair, they they find someone, you know, they have some kind of extramarital affair that That can be the inciting incident that helps them to realize, oh, hey, like I... This
1: is what I want in my life. Yeah, this
2: is what I want. I feel like I am capable of loving more than one person or I am really interested in this. Um, And like, that's great. Like, it's great that you've realized this, but like the chances of succeeding, like still keeping the same people in your life, you know, like the person that you cheated on and the person, you know, that you're, you know, cheating on your partner with, that is definitely an uphill battle. From what I've and seen.
1: That's fascinating because I think anecdotally people think in their minds, like, okay, a lot of people get into polyamory because it's coming out of, like, a cheating relationship. And so then they, like, start, I guess, they, they have the, the affair or whatever, and then they start becoming polyamorous after that. And that's just kind of a way in which polyamory can happen in people's lives and that people just think okay like that's a thing that that people do and so it's a possibility that that it can work i don't know i think the reality is it doesn't tend to work that way Yeah,
2: it doesn't tend yeah. to work out i, I, I mean there's a lot of
1: there's so much pain from yeah. the beginning incident or there can be potentially that yes i i agree that it's difficult to crawl up out of that and then all of a sudden just be like comfortable with this new thing
2: right i, I mean i've definitely like i've seen people really dig themselves like a really deep hole like some people who like they've been cheating on a partner but they're like oh but like maybe if I pitch them on the idea of opening up our mm-hmm. relationship first and so like they pitch them and then the, the partner agrees like, yeah, we'll open up our their relationship and then they're trying to pretend that like this partner they've been seeing for a year now that, oh, actually we only met two weeks ago and <laughs> oh like it it really, you know, it does become that old adage of, of just, you know, like the tangled web <laughs> um, yeah. essentially mm-hmm. where you just get in like deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and so like... I, guess, I don't know. I guess that's where I ultimately land is like I have seen people really pull it off pretty amazingly, but I would call that more of a miracle rather than like something to be expected. That I yeah. think, you know, for most people that I know who are in this situation of like they're cheating on their partner or they've been cheated on and now they're considering should I be non monogamous? Should I be open? Um, that's basically that it's like, you know, you can try, but I wouldn't count on it being successful. You're probably going to have a better time, like trying to find some way to have a fresh start either Mm. leaving the relationships that you're in and, and knowing like now going forward, like I know what I want and now I can create relationships that are built on like honesty and trust about what I want. Um, uh, basically that like you have to find some way to have a fresh start generally because there's probably going to be too much like pain and suffering and baggage and mistrust, you know, trying to transition it from that.
0: Yeah, because I mean, like we said, that it takes a lot of trust and honesty to have an effective non-monogamous relationship. Yeah, um, and that in this case, if you've been having an affair and then you want to open up your existing relationship and continue that relationship you're having the affair with, like not only are you starting from a place of having lost a lot of the of your partner's trust of like violating that trust, but also you're not starting off their metamore relationship on a good foot because you're starting with right. like, I don't trust you to respect my relationship mm-hmm. metamore. Right. So it's like Absolutely. It, uh, d- strikes on both sides. It's like <clears throat> it's just really not a great place to start from. And I, I would argue like not, not a reasonable thing to ask of someone Yeah, to mm-hmm. ask of your partner yeah. who's been cheated on. Um, I know people do it. It happens a lot. Actually, people try to make yeah. it work. I personally would say that's not a fair thing to ask of someone.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, I know we're really ragging on this situation. Um, and I'm going to keep ragging, but basically, just saying that uh, a, a viewpoint that we haven't really considered yet is I also get a lot of people who come to me who are like, quote unquote, the other woman, like they are the other person. And mm. sometimes it's actually even under the guise of like, this person came to me and said they were non monogamous. And mm. so I got into a relationship with them and then found out too late. No, they've actually been lying to their partner this entire time, but now I love this person. Um, so what do and, we do? Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do? And that's, the, I don't know that is like, I feel so like sorry for people in this situation. Cause it is really just a case of like, if you found out that like your partner has been lying to their other partner this whole time, like at least for me personally, like there is not, there is no excuse on the planet that he, this person can give me that makes it justifiable for like, why I should stay with them after they've been. Yeah, lying like to Yeah. Like they're partner also, they're
1: a liar. Like that's yeah, not it's cool, like, man. It's, yeah,
2: it's like, I, like, it doesn't matter that like, you're not the person necessarily being lied to. You may as well. Cause
1: you, you will be eventually.
2: Because yeah. you feel like this person will be eventually. Um, and
1: no, you were because they said, well, that's, right, true. True, at the big, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Now that's true. you were lied to. Yeah, that's true. That and whole it's, situation it's so messed is up up. It's
2: Like I've, I've heard from so many people in that situation. And I don't know why it happens so often. And I feel so bad, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like I can't stress enough to people that it's like, if, if someone you're with is actively, proactively lying to another partner, like that's not a person that you want to be with. I'm not yeah. normally so black and white on this shower with my clients, but I, but in this situation I'm just like, nah, like this is not this is not gonna be good. You gotta get yeah. out before you get, you know, too hurt.
1: They need to be doing some serious work in order right. to not like continue yeah. those lies. Yeah. 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 And Definitely. deceiving everyone for their own benefit. So, okay, is it possible to recover after after an infidelity? Like, how does one even do that? And not necessarily like going into a non-monogamous relationship afterwards, but just even keeping on in the same type of relationship that you already were in. And is it possible to recover? And is it possible to kind of continue that relationship? Or is it just like, done deal? No,
0: no way. Yeah. So something that was interesting in the stits and stats that we were looking at earlier is that same study found that um, of marriages where the infidelity was either admitted to the partner or was found out, that most marriages did continue after the affair. Most didn't immediately lead to a divorce.
1: That's fascinating.
0: And then, again, they do this weird thing with the gender in this study, but they say 40% 40 of women admit they're not on good terms with their spouses, though, even though they are still married, while 60% of men say they are on good terms. I'm so like, it's the it's exact same
2: for both. Such a weird split. It's so
0: stupid. It's the same <laughs> number, right? Forty percent of women said it's bad. Sixty percent of women said it was, or sixty percent of men said it was good. Mike, yeah, Okay. Maybe I'm just assuming this is all heterosexual couples, but I think it is. Uh, I think we read that in the study that it's all heterosexual couples, and so I'm like, so probably. You're saying the so same why, number. Why? Yeah. Why exactly. Try to make why would it they into do this that? Gender thing. Anyway, I'm mad at this study. It's not a great study. (laughs) Again,
1: it's like trying to dupe you into saying like, well, look at all these women who are saying that they're not on good terms and the men who are trying. But I think we only have we we only have ourselves
2: to blame for finding this study. And so,
0: yeah, that is a may. Um, (laughs) It's fascinating. So I think there are two interesting things to take away from this, though. One is that, first of all, is that most relationships don't end right after an affair. I think that Mm -hmm. first part is very interesting. And I think the other part is this 40-60 thing. Those aren't great odds, right? Like, yeah. No, not about, really. About being on not good terms, good terms with your partner after this. And I think right. it's interesting to see that that many people are still in this relationship, even saying that they're not on good terms. Mm-hmm. I think that in, in yeah. itself is, says some interesting things about the way we treat marriages, specifically.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Constating.
0: But so, through this, it, we found some steps for recovery. Um, and this is not from these guys who did this study, thankfully, because I don't think, I wouldn't trust them to help us repair <laughs> a relationship. Um, but there were some really great um, articles, some from the Gottman Institute, some from uh, you know other therapists who've written about it um, online. And so we want to talk about some of those that we felt were, the most applicable to all types of relationships um and uh Detker, I think you have the first one here
2: right yeah so it is hard when you when we're doing research into like how does one recover or move forward with a partner after there's been an infidelity because you know specifically when you're looking at literature that's about affairs it's all very mononormative right it's all very much about like you know, your marriage needs to be the most important thing. You know, the first thing you need to do is you need to completely cut off this other person out of your life. And it's like, yeah, for like a monogamous relationship, that makes sense. But if it's some other kind of breach of trust or breach of an agreement in some kind of consensually non-monogamous relationship, then you can't just default to, well, the thing that's going to solve it is to cut off mm-hmm. this particular person. Because sometimes it's not even based in like a particular person, you know? Usually it's based in an action or something like that. Um, but... These are some steps that are, um, I think, can be applied to any kind of breach of trust that's that's major and unexpected, not necessarily just infidelity. Um, and the first one being that it's important to recognize that forgiveness, it is an option, that it is something that is possible to attain, but it is going to take time. And I think that it is okay to kind of hold both those truths of knowing, like, it is going to take time to get over the pain and to heal that pain and suffering um, that was caused by the breach of trust, um, but that it is possible to attain forgiveness and to still kind of maintain that sense, even when things are feeling really hard. Um, And the other thing that's really important is to recognize that, before this infidelity or before the breach of trust there may have been problems in the relationship it's unlikely according to like studies it's unlikely that it's usually not like a perfect a plus b equals c it's usually not a perfect like oh you know she wasn't getting her emotional needs met therefore she went to someone else to get them fulfilled usually what causes people to have affairs is a lot more complex and sometimes not quite intuitive um mm but it is important for both people to recognize that they both probably took part in some kind of you know in something that helped contribute to the relationship maybe not being ideal before and being able to take ownership of that even though they know that like the problems in the relationship wasn't what caused the infidelity or the breach of trust um, but again being able to take ownership for each person's part in what the relationship was like before this breach of trust
0: i thought that the gottman institute put it well when they were saying that The problems in the relationship weren't what caused this to happen because the breach of trust comes from not being trustworthy and like not taking Mm. maybe the more brave choices to be more honest or to, you know, be more upfront about your behavior. However, that doesn't mean there aren't still things that could be improved. And if you are going to continue this relationship, that should be from a place of wanting to improve it. So it's kind of like, like that of, of making that distinction. I, I like the way that they put that.
1: Yeah, the the next two wow are real doozies because I think that if you're if you're able to master these two uh, in any relationship, regardless of what it is, I think you are one hell of a Zen master because it is it's really difficult to do, but also um, I just think so like unbelievably loving and stepping outside of yourself and getting out of your own way. Um, so the first one is learn how to express feelings of pain in such a way that it encourages dialogue rather than continual rumination or punishment. Mm -hmm. I think this is incredibly difficult for most people to do because we do get so caught up in our emotions instead of being able to be like, hey, I'm going to help you help me by setting up a good way in which we can have a good conversation about this as opposed to me just like dumping on you about all of my shit that I'm feeling in this moment. So, you know, it, you can learn ways to self-soothe through negative feelings as well, rather than always needing to let them loose on on a partner. That's one of them. You want to say something about that, Dedecker?
2: Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out that I feel like this is where I see so many people get stuck, is, you know, my partner did something... Sort.
1: Yeah, I felt stuck. Yeah, I felt
2: hurt about it. And like, yeah, and I need to process those hurt emotions about it. And I see people just get stuck in this pattern of, you know, partner, the partner that was hurt, just like, you know, processing and dumping all their hurt feelings on the, you know, other partner and the other partner often going through periods of like, just like trying to apologize slash being indignant slash being tired of having the same conversation or feeling like they're just being beat over the head constantly, or being guilted constantly. And it creates this like really vicious cycle because then, yeah. you know, the partner who is hurt then feels like they're not being listened to. And it really, like, I, I don't know. I think I, I feel like I've seen that cycle like destroy a lot of relationships and like just oh, like really sure. wear down a lot of people because it's really hard to get out of that cycle. Like, it makes sense. It's like if you're so hurt and the person who hurts you, you know, you don't feel like you're getting the thing that you feel like you need from them in order to be able to not be hurt anymore. But the other partner just feels like, how many times are we going to go over this? Like, I've apologized. I've done everything I possibly can. Like I'm at the point of offering to like cut off parts of my body if it'll just make you feel better, you know, and, and people just really get stuck in this loop. But yeah, this of like learning to be able to express those feelings in a way where there can, either there can be dialogue like productive dialogue about it or in a way where like you can process it by yourself. Because again, Mm -hmm. like I think that, or even with
1: an objective party, exactly.
2: Or with a friend or a therapist or things like that. Because the thing is that it's like, like if your partner's done something to hurt you, you know, it can still come up many years later and still feel like twingy or hurtful even after it's been quote unquote resolved. And it, You know, even if it really has been resolved, and so like, does that mean you need to bring it up to your partner again? Does it mean you just sit on it? Like, you know, like learning to tell the difference between those two things, I think, is like so paramount to help you prevent, like, to help prevent you from falling into that like really toxic, vicious cycle with a partner.
1: Yeah, and I think all of that kind of leads into the next one, which, which is something we've talked about on this show, and that you guys have talked to me about um, over. Many years, I think, and and it's it's sort of understanding your own personal biases and potentially shifting them in your mind. Um, What the Gottman Institute said was creating a new context or paradigm that sets up you and your partner for success in the future. But I also want to point out that, like, we often will create these stories in our minds about who we are and who our partners are. And regardless of what they say, what they do, like that tape is what plays constantly. And so you never can really move forward simply because the two of you have these ideas about one another and it's not going to move forward from there. It's always going to be those tapes that are playing and always going to be, you know, us banging ourselves over the head with like, this is what happened. You did this. Mm -hmm. How dare you over and over and over again, instead of really deciding for ourselves, my part, I'm going to decide after this amount of time or after this amount of processing that my partner is a person who is trustworthy again, that my Mm -hmm. partner is a person who is worthy of my love and therefore like move forward with that story as opposed to the old one. And then I think, you know that can change the way in which you communicate with one another you can feel safe and on and honest and and trustworthy and truthful in order to move forward if you
0: really want to in this relationship i think that also involves changing the story about yourself oh right? unquestionably. that i yeah, am that someone, you're not a victim anymore well no but even just uh, yes that that too but like that i, I am worthy of being loved and mm. like my partner isn't going to cheat on me again or leave me or something because I'm not worthy that we yeah. can also end up with like a lot of that sort of story about ourselves in our head that or like I'm just not like, lovable enough that I can be enough for this person. Yeah. Um, so I think it That's can really, really work true. for our, for ourselves and for our partners. Yeah. Whew. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) I know, all of that is is a lot, but okay. Some big
1: stuff.
2: Some big stuff, for sure. A little
1: bit bit more here.
0: Yeah, so... Take it away, Jess. This comes from the Gottman Institute, again. Uh, And again, we've talked about this when we mentioned the Gottman Institute in the past. They're great. They're a really great resource. They do a lot of research. They're a huge body of knowledge and stuff. That said, they are very, very, very mononormative, very heteronormative... Um, so, you know, there's that, there's our disclaimer. Okay. Moving on. Uh, they have these three questions about um, kind of asked three questions to ask yourself in determining if you're going to move forward in trying to repair and rebuild a relationship after an affair. Um, and these are questions for the person who was the one who was cheated on. Mm-hmm. So, first, so as
2: in it's it's like questions to ask yourself if you're, struggling and trying to figure out, do I stay with this person or do I leave? Yeah, A lot of people are caught in that situation. Right.
0: So the first question is, um, would you want to be committed to your partner if you trusted them again? And that sounds like kind of a so basic level question, which is why I think it's really worth asking. Um, In other words, like, do you admire this person? Do you respect this person enough to even want to have a relationship with them if you did trust them right and really be honest like do i still enjoy being with this person is this still a rewarding relationship for me Mm -hmm. or is it not because if it's not well none of this is worth trying to repair anyway
2: right right and so question number two have you let go of your anger and resentment about your partner's betrayal and are you able to move forward so another way of thinking about this question is like, can you close your eyes and can you imagine feeling happy again in your relationship with this person? Can you imagine wanting to be close or wanting to be intimate with your partner, even in spite of their actions? So mm. it's, you know, I think a lot of people can envision, like, yeah, I can envision if this never happened, of course I'd want to be close to my partner and and, mm. and you know, trust them and be intimate with them again. But it's like, no, like knowing what your partner's done. And knowing the pain that you have because of it, can you ever imagine yourself feeling happy, feeling close, feeling intimate with this person?
1: Yeah. And then finally, can you forgive your partner for their actions? So again, it's not it's not condoning their actions, but but really not letting those actions have any more power over you. So apparently, research suggests that a willingness to forgive can help heal marital problems, um, both big problems and small problems. So, so in fact, marital therapists have found that forgiveness is an, an essential ingredient of healing from infidelity and it contributes to a long lasting, su- successful marriage. Uh, so yeah, I mean, isn't that enough Bible forgiveness? <laughs> oh my
2: goodness. Gosh, You're going to bring know. the Bible into this episode assembly.
1: here. Hey, that's that our not, other podcast. Yeah. That was
2: not what I was <laughs> expecting. Yeah. Um, I yeah, the, mean, really know
1: just like doing it in general is probably good. Just also for your, for your own mental health, like learning to well, forgive. I
2: think, I think that's that th- this makes sense, you know, in our question of asking like, is non-monogamy viable mm-hmm. after an affair? And I think all these three questions apply as oh, well. Yeah. Like, if you're considering, do I stay with this person and be non-monogamous with them? Or do I leave? Like these three questions definitely apply because it's true. Like, if you haven't let go of your anger and resentment and if you don't feel like you can forgive your partner for the breach of trust, like there's no way in hell you're going to be able to have like a healthy functioning non-monogamous relationship until those things happen. Um, And if they, and if, and I think the other important thing is like, if you don't feel like that's in you, that's okay. Like if you really don't feel, I can't forgive this person, I can't get past that. That is okay. It just means like, you probably do need to leave the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you really can't get past that like like you're definitely not under any kind of obligation to have to forgive someone or to have to, you know, let go of feeling angry about what someone did to you. Um but it's not going to be good to hang on to those things and be in a relationship with this person at the same time. And I
1: do think that ideally, eventually, like a a, a sense of forgiveness just for the situation so that you don't hold on to the idea that like every single person that you meet later on in your life is going to potentially do this to you. Because I I feel like I've absolutely had moments where I'm like, fuck, like my old relationships, they were really bad. And this person did this terrible thing to me. And I come into a new relationship being like, "Eh." And this is going to happen to me again. Yeah. And I think holding that sense of resentment or that sense of anger, it continually for something that happened to you in the past, it could lead to baggage in new relationships. And I think even just for yourself, even if you don't stay in the relationship, just being like, I'm letting it go. It happened. Fuck that person. I'm letting it go like that'll that'll allow for some understanding when
0: you do decide to get into a new relationship right I think these questions also work even um, not with an affair in kind of the Mm -hmm. traditional sexual infidelity sense of the word but like we're talking about earlier with some kind of breach of trust I think these questions still apply right it's that like is there still something here in this relationship that if I can trust them again, I would still want to be in it. Can I, can I see myself letting go of my anger and resentment about whatever this betrayal was? Mm -hmm. And can I see myself forgiving them? I I think that absolutely applies. If you're having that same question of like, well, it's not so black and white as an affair because we're taught to think that's black and white, but there was some other violation of trust. Mm -hmm. I think this still applies.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, so if people want to find more about this, I often refer people to our episode 155 that was specifically about rebuilding trust. That episode is not just about rebuilding trust. It is also conversations around, like, is it even possible um, to rebuild trust in a relationship after a huge violation? What is it going to feel like after that? Um, So again, if you're interested in this, go check out episode 155 to get a little bit more information on that.
0: And the closing thought that we wanted to leave you all with For this episode is that the best outcome isn't the one where you stay in the relationship necessarily it's the one where you have healthy respectful and rewarding relationships if that is this relationship then making it work after infidelity is great but if this isn't that relationship no one is out there giving out points for making unhappy relationships last longer When we think about that statistic of 40% of people saying they're not on good terms with their partner, even after sticking together after an affair, no one's giving you points for that. No one's rewarding you for that. So just keep that in mind. No
1: high scores.
0: That this isn't about finding tricks to somehow win at the one result, which is making a relationship last. That's not the goal of this game. So what about you? What have your experiences been with infidelity or with trying to move from infidelity to non-monogamy or trying to repair a relationship, we would love to hear from you. And the best place to be part of that conversation is in our private discourse discussion group and our Facebook discussion group, which you can access through our Patreon, which you can get to by going to patreon.com slash multiamory and pledging there to become part of one of those groups. In addition, you can share publicly with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at info at Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balbanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.